Well, this morning's text on the uh, two sons, I know that most of you have never heard it before. (laughs) There's been no analogies or parables drawn to our current culture ever about the two sons. Um, And I struggled with this only because I've looked at various forms of research every time I've preached on it. And my biggest fear is that I'm going to be redundant or bring up something I've already mentioned to you. And you're going, okay, let's get on to something else different. Well, I'm going to go something different. I've said to you a number of times that on our website, you can go and press on sermons and readings. And when you get to the page where there are sermons listed, you can actually hear this again if you so choose, but certainly others that you would choose. The important thing is that there's a reading section, and in the reading section, there's an actual breakout of all of the lessons, all of the things that we read on Sunday mornings. Now, it gives you the full extent of the readings because we don't include the Old Testament lesson. We did include the psalm, and we have the... uh, Pauline letter to the Corinthians, but it gives you a synopsis and it gives you a feel for something about the passages which can have context for each of us. So I'm going to use this, which all of you have access to. There's nothing hidden here. There's no big surprise like, where'd you get that idea? It's from the readings within the context of our own website. The interesting part to me about the prodigal son story, we've often focused on the prodigal son, the one who returns. And it's really a story about two sons who in fact are equally guilty of their own deceit and self-righteousness. One out of his loyalty to his father, staying on and being the hard worker, the one who does all the dutiful things a son is asked to do and probably has a tad bit of resentment going on about that. Because his other brother, the one who gets the money and runs, has a good time and collapses, comes back home and is fated by the father by receiving the one who was lost and is now found. We often think of it as the brother's passage. But literally, it points out in the text that I read in, your, in our website that it's in fact the giving of the father that the focus of the passage really takes place. The elder son out of hatred, fear of loss, his anger at his father's response to the young brother coming home. Again, the father takes the initiative as he does with the son returning. He takes initiative and goes out to see his older son. However, the elder son perceives his sonship as servitude and extracted obedience for the sale for the sake of reward. 
he acknowledges real relationships, neither with his father, as the father comes out to plead with him to come in, nor to his brother in the words, this son of yours. The parable of the two lost sons, both are self-centered, each in different ways, and both misunderstand their relationship to their father. And it's the parable of the waiting father that we need to look at today. And we use the word father, and I would say the waiting parent. The waiting parent, father or mother, is critical to this passage. While it may be exaggerated, this unspoken monologue points up the problems in cowering fearfully before law and obligation rather than acting out the grateful response of resurrected people. If we pride ourselves on keeping our noses clean, we're in trouble. The older son's rage is expressed in gesture, his refusing to enter the house, his questioning of the servant, his rejecting his father's overtures. Furthermore, his language conveys buried resentment and anger long time suppressed. This state of turmoil blinds him to the fact that the father who goes out to both sons assures him, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Perhaps the security will help him relax, will provide an anecdote to the poison that he feels in himself. So let's consider what it is about this passage that is so poignant for us today. Because both sons are not free of their own anxiety and their own self-righteousness. It's interesting because I grew up with the younger brother and I was the older, loyal, rule-following brother. And my brother had the freedom to do things that I never even thought were possible, particularly with my father and mother she was a converted Catholic to an Episcopal, Episcopalian, and my father was a lifelong Episcopalian. And my parents had some very definite rules. As a matter of fact, I was reminded when I was talking to one of my grandchildren. So my dad had this wonderful notion when I was 14 years old that I should be given advice, fatherly advice. He said to me, Skip, he says, you're getting to that age when you're going to be motivated by your friends to do things, to have a good time, to rejoice and push the limits. He said, now I want to let you know that I will receive your phone call from the state trooper's office when you're picked up. And I will listen to you as you make a call to me to reach out. He says, but by the same token, you have to understand that I'm going to let you sit there for the night. 
to figure out how you are so absolutely dumb to put yourself in a situation where you compromised your own integrity and value. He said, we'll talk in the morning when you have a response. My father was really caring about me and in a sort of humorous way pointed out the limits of our relationship. So I became the law-abiding son. Now my brother, who is five years younger, seemed to be in a zone where my father wasn't concerned about the same issues with him, even though he was going through the same circumstances that I was. And I got resentful because he seemed to get all of the joy out of life that I had to postpone because I was going to be a better person. And it was an intriguing relationship. And it wasn't until I lost my brother that I found in him the ability to look at every day as a value and a purpose and a fun. I got involved in clowning because I needed to know what fun was in the real world so that God could allow me to laugh myself. It was through his loss that I found gain. I had to put aside my resentments and all my pettiness about our relationship. The interesting part is I only have one son Unfortunately, he suffers from both personality types. On the one hand, he's the very loyal, dutiful son. And when he calls me, he expresses his concern about how I'm doing and what's happening with me and all those things. And there's also this side of him that is much like my brother, Paul, who just takes off on a whim and tries things that I never would have tried to do. And he had this marvelous sense of humor. Well, I think the connection between us was through the clown character. Because he became a clown at five years old, juggling and riding a unicycle. And we clowned together in Hawaii for two weeks and learned about our relationship to the fool that was both of us. And it was in the fool that I found that God's message and God's awareness that I could laugh at myself and laugh at my rules and laugh at my inability to get past my pettinesses, that I began to be an actual father to my son because I could hear both sides of his personality. I could weigh, in fact, my wanting to be my father's father and say, no, and you shouldn't try that, and you shouldn't do this. And the interesting part was, I finally found out that if I listened and let him finish a sentence, he actually had some moral review of what his intentions were. And he had this ability to speak his mind and I had never had that opportunity with my father. <clears throat> the joy that he has and brings 
to my life and to his wife and daughter are a part of that sensitivity of being both and recognizing that he's got some self-righteousness along with some love to do and press all the buttons of other people. But he's had the central process of learning about himself and being heard, not judged. And it's been so hard. It's so much easier for me to say, don't do this, don't do that, don't get yourself in that situation. But to sit there and hear him go through this and then report back to me, well, this didn't work out very well. <laughs> I really blew that one. He's a property manager and he's gone through hell with one person whose property had developed some mildew. And they had to go in and reconstruct the property. She has four kids. One, six, two, no, six, four, two, and one, and then one on the way. So the company that he works for gave her a motel suite and a $100 food voucher to be off-site while the construction took place on-site. And he said, Dad, you wouldn't believe it. She came and said, nope, she was going to go to her house and she's going to cook a meal in the kitchen when it was all torn up. And he says, and I had to be the bad guy. I had to say, no, we can't do that. You're endangering your children. You can't go into the house. It's under construction. He finally had to record her interaction with him so that he had evidence so he could finally call the police to get her protected and her children protected. What amazed me was his persistence in trying to resolve a situation that was powerfully painful for this woman and her kids in a way that actually gave her some help and support in spite of the fact that her anger went right through the chart. I'm proud. He's my son. I understand now what it is to be the father waiting. And I'm so thankful that God awaits for all of us as a parent to give us the chance to make all the mistakes possible and gives us a gracious, crazy love that goes beyond those things. That God inspires us through our reality, through our checking of ourselves, to our repentance and Lent, to know, number one, that we will always be loved and held by God. In spite of sometimes the worst things we feel about ourselves, which are the things often I choose not to even admit. But when I'm able to be open to them, my vulnerability allows me for the first time to connect with God who loves us so dearly. Our task this day is to understand that our relationships with God 
come at graciousness and giving, not at deserved earning or a postponement of our will to be ourselves, but rather allowing ourselves to be in God. It is about the waiting father. It is about not the two sons. It's about being parented with the context of a crazy, crazy love that goes beyond our worst fears so that we can feel connected, loved, and responsive to one another. Amen.